All right, I've got one more of these rewind messages to go here. Uh, so this is a, a series that I did all through the season of Lent. Uh, Lent being that time that brings us up to Easter. And I know normally you get to Easter and then that's sort of the end of that series and you move on. But there's one more here for us to see that goes beyond Easter. So I don't want to leave the Gospel of John quite yet, but give us one more. So here, here's the half a minute recap of what Rewind was about. We began this in the season of Lent with the Gospel of John and then worked backwards. So we started towards the end of the Gospel, and then every week we backed up a step through that. And as we were backing up through the Gospel of John, it became evident that Jesus is preparing his people for what's coming preparing his people for the cross, preparing his people for the resurrection. John sort of has a way in his gospel of laying that out for us. So we actually backed up through those things about halfway through the gospel. And, and I, I mentioned a piece of that last week, that we backed up to, on Easter, the Lazarus story, which is right in the middle in John chapter 11. And that's as far as we got with it. So today, one more, but this time I'm backing us up all the way to the beginning. This is the very start of the Gospel of John. And this is one of those rewind moments where we're going to see John himself rewinding all the way back to the creation, to Genesis. So, John chapter 1, I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and then we'll talk about the rewind here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's a reference to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rewind. All right, so this is quite a, quite a rewind that John takes us all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 1. In fact, he, he starts his gospel 
with those same words that Genesis 1 starts with, in the beginning. I, I think that's an intentional reference for John to make for us, that he wants our minds to go back and connect to Genesis 1 as he starts this out. And that's unique, different. Uh, so all the Gospels start in different ways, but two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, talk about the nativity, uh, where Jesus was born. Uh, it's the Christmas story that we're familiar with. Bethlehem and the stable and shepherds and wise men, all of that. That Christmas story. Two of the Gospels sort of introduce Jesus coming along with that way. Mark chooses to introduce Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry when he comes to declare that the kingdom of God is near. John does something completely different. There, there's no nativity story, no birth story of Jesus in John. No, John wants us to see Jesus all the way back at the start, in the beginning, at the creation. That John puts words around, Jesus was present there. He was there eternally at the creation. So even though John is writing this story, this gospel, to talk about God's salvation, and that's what he's up to. He's talking about Jesus as the Messiah who comes to save. John wants to root that story all the way back to the start, the beginning in Genesis, that he was there. Uh, this church, Fellowship Church, is coming up on being 50 years old. 50 years old for a church is, well, it's young enough that there are still some people here who are charter members. And what a charter member of a church means is, you were one of the first people who were in this church when it began, with it from the very beginning. And you remember 50 years ago where it wasn't here in this building, it was setting up chairs in the gym over at Granville Christian School. And you were there. You were a part of it. You were present at that. Now, many others of us who are not charter members, we, we came somewhere along the way and we're a part of this thing now, but we weren't present back then. All we know are the stories, the things that we've heard about, but we weren't there. We weren't part of that. John, I think, wants us to bring us back to that moment of realizing that all the way back at the start where the universe came into being... Jesus was there. He was present. He was part of it. Jesus is a charter member of creation. He was there as a part of that. John wants us to bring us back there. And, and I think there's a reason why. That John wants us to see that salvation itself comes back there. That the creation itself points to God's salvation. Now, John is up to something in particular, right? He's, he's out to show his readers that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that Jesus is divine. Uh, you think about that in the context in which John is writing, that for those first readers, the people around John, and, and John himself being one of the disciples who was physically present with Jesus, there was no doubt in that circle that Jesus was an actual human being, that Jesus was a real person. Jesus is not just made up. 
John didn't have to convince his readers about that. But the thing that he did have to convince his readers about is that Jesus is Messiah, God, divine. Plenty of the Jewish people denied that. They didn't deny that Jesus was a real person. But they denied that Jesus was God. So I think that's one of the reasons why John chooses to take the story of Jesus and say, we're going to take this all the way back to creation to see that Jesus has been eternally present from the moment of creation and that the creation itself points to God's salvation. Uh, John uses some words to sort of capture and bring this in. He uses the words light and dark. You notice that in this passage? That when he talks about the creation and he talks about Jesus and he connects those two things together, he uses the words light and dark. That when you go back to Genesis 1 and you look at the creation and the very first words that God spoke at creation in Genesis 1, let there be light. That in that very beginning moment of creation, there is light and darkness. And John pulls that in. He pulls that in here to say, and with Jesus, Jesus comes into the world and he is the light of the world. A light that shines into the darkness. He's bridging those things together for us to see that not only was Jesus present and active in creation, but God's salvation is already there, already at work. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later on, so hang on to that one, that the creation itself points to God's salvation. Then John moves on and he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Dwelling. Uh, the, the Greek word there is actually the word for a tent. That, uh, the idea being that Jesus made camp, pitched his tent. He camped with us. That, that's the idea behind dwelling in that. Some biblical scholars have pointed out a connection there to tabernacle. That there's this idea of tabernacle that's a part of Israel's history behind that. A community around that. So that story comes from Exodus, where God's people are rescued from slavery in Egypt and God brings them out. And maybe you've heard and you know these stories, the ten plagues and the Israelites go out and Moses parts the Red Sea and all the people walk through and they go to Mount Sinai where they receive the Ten Commandments, the law of God on the stone tablets, if you're familiar with those stories. And then Moses receives instructions for building a tent, a very special tent called the tabernacle. In fact, it is so special that the entire second half of Exodus are instructions for a tabernacle detailed instructions for how you build this and how big it is and what goes around it and the furniture that goes inside of it, all of that in the last half of Exodus. It's pretty important stuff if it has that kind of detail to go in it. This tabernacle was God's presence among his people. Here's how that worked. That at the time of the Exodus, when the people left Egypt, God led his people out, and the Bible tells us in Exodus, in the form of a cloud that they saw during the daytime, 
and a pillar of fire that was before them at night. So they would follow that because that was the presence of God which led them then through the sea and then to Mount Sinai and that cloud and that pillar of fire settled on the mountain of Mount Sinai. But no one could go up there except Moses. Moses was the only one who could go and actually be in the presence of God at Mount Sinai. So they get all these instructions for building this tent, this tabernacle. And they go through all the work and they, they put this whole tent together, this tabernacle, and they set the whole thing up. And when the whole thing is finished being set up, then the Bible tells us that the presence of God, that cloud, came from the mountain and descended upon the tent, the tabernacle. That God's dwelling filled this place, this tabernacle. That's a key moment. The place where God dwells. Because it moved. It started out as something apart from them. It's on that mountain and no one can go there. Only Moses. You cannot be in God's presence. But then this thing happens where there's this tent, this tabernacle, and the very presence of God comes and fills this tabernacle. Now, an important detail to this also is where they set it up. It was the middle of the camp. So all the tribes of Israel would pitch their tents and make their camp around it. And the tabernacle was in the middle. There's something intentional to that camp setup. That God, the very presence of God, is at the center. Who they were as a nation of people, their community, who it was that they were in their identity as a nation had God at its very center. That happened with the tabernacle. That's where that began in that picture of God being at the very center of his people. It did not exist like that before tabernacle. So John... The disciple John, who writes this gospel, gives a nod towards that. That Jesus came and pitched his tent, made his dwelling. He tabernacled among us. To the way that shows us that the very presence of God within that community points to salvation. The tabernacle community itself points to God's salvation. John is bringing some of that into here, right? He's playing that forward for us as we go through that. Hang on to that thought as well, all right? Now, I know I gave you two thoughts to hang on to now, right? So hang on to that thought of the creation being part of God's salvation and now the tabernacle community being a part of God's salvation. And, and then let's look at one more. So I'm going to pull out a few verses that come in this. Verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, let's talk about that one for just a moment. That... There is a piece to this salvation of God which is personal. Personal. That it takes a personal faith 
in Jesus to come to God. And that personal faith in Jesus comes with a result. A result. The right to be called children of God. I, let, let's think for just a minute about rights because we've got the wrong idea of rights when we think about that compared to what the Bible says. Right? When we think about rights, especially if you're an American citizen here, when we think about rights as American, we think about things like Bill of Rights, right? Um, all those things that are our natural human rights that we all get. And we may rattle off a whole bunch of those things that we think, it's my right as a person or as an American or however that may be. The Bible has no understanding of that, right? The Bible, when the Bible talks about rights, they mostly talk about things like a birthright, that you have a right to be within a family because you were born into that family. And the way that in the Old Testament birthrights go, it's usually the oldest male child, the son, who gets the highest birthright. Follow that all the way through. The Israelites still hang on to that at the time when John is writing this. That the Israelites still hang on to that idea that they have rights to be the people of God, but they think their right to be God's people is because they were born in the right family. It's because I'm a descendant of Abraham. That's what gives me the right to be a child of God. That's how they think of rights. John is flipping that here. He's saying, nope, that's not it. That is not it anymore. It's not that you were born into the right ethnic heritage. It's turning in faith to Jesus. Those who turn to faith in Jesus, God says, you know what? You've got that right now. I'm giving you that, what used to be a birthright, but now it's a right that is conferred upon you by Jesus. That Jesus is the one who gives us that right to be part of a family, God's family. That now, because of Jesus and because of faith in Jesus, the Heavenly Father is not just the Heavenly Father, but is my Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father. That Jesus is not just the sibling, the co-heir, as Scripture talks about it, but it's my brother, your brother. Because Jesus has taken his perfect righteousness and said, this righteousness is now for you. I'm sharing it with you. That we are together on the same plane as that. In the righteousness of Jesus, which we all wear. And John says, it's turning to God in faith. Turning to God in faith is what makes us part of God's family. So it's not a pastor or a group of elders who say, you know what, you can be a part of the church or you not be a part of the church. You can be part of God's family or not be part of God's family. It's, it's God himself who says that. And it's faith in Jesus that opens that door. That we see something here that personal faith in Jesus points to God's salvation. All right. Let's bring these three things together then, okay? That all these things that John is talking about. John is rewinding the picture of salvation for us, and he's bringing three ingredients into it. 
started out by showing us the way that salvation is, I'm going to call it cosmic. Cosmic in the sense of the cosmos, the universe, the creation itself. That Jesus and his salvation goes all the way back that far. So salvation is cosmic. But also that whole discussion about tabernacle, tent, the place where God dwells, that salvation is communal. It has to do with a community, a people who are gathered to be together. Salvation is communal that way. It involves being a people together with God at its center. But also, salvation is personal. That there is a peace where a personal faith in Jesus gives us access to being part of the family the family of God. Salvation is all of this. John has to rewind the clock and take us back to the beginning to show us that. That all these things are involved. And really, by winding back the clock here and going all the way back to creation, it gives us a bit of a frame to see the Bible itself. That the Bible, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is a story. A story of God's salvation that weaves all of these things together. That everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards and leading to Jesus. And everything in the New Testament, the Gospels and the letters that the Apostle Paul writes and all of the pieces that go all the way to Revelation all look back to Jesus. And that Jesus carries this salvation for us that it all funnels in that direction. But the entire Bible points to it as something cosmic, communal, and personal. So uh, last week, last week at Easter, when I looked at with us the passage of Lazarus, we looked at Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus last week as a lens through which to see the resurrection of Jesus. And what I talked about last week was the restoration of shalom. That resurrection opens the restoration of shalom. Shalom being that thriving and flourishing of God's creation, the way he designed and intended it to be. That's cosmic, right? That is the cosmic piece of salvation, that restoration of shalom. Now we see here that John is also bringing in the community, that God in salvation draws his people to be a redeemed people together as part of a community with God at its very center. That salvation means you are a part of that, a part of this community with other people, that we work through our salvation together, that we grow in faith together, that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit together in community with one another. And it's personal. That at some point, at some moment, there has to be that personal moment of, I have a faith in Jesus. I know that I am messed up and broken and I cannot get my way to God on my own. I know that only the sacrifice of Jesus can stand in that place for me. And that Jesus has taken my guilt to the cross. And Jesus has put his perfect righteousness upon me in place of my guilt. That I have faith to accept that and believe that. It's personal. It's all three of these things. 
Salvation makes a big picture then. A big picture that I think we can take one step backwards to see. Because maybe we think of it in ways that don't capture all of that. Maybe there are some people here who, when you think of salvation, maybe you just think of one of those three things. Well, I mean, I go to church and do the things, right? I show up at church on Sunday and and I give my offering and I, I join the Bible study or I'm in the Sunday school class. I'm a part of the community, so that must be it. I'm communal in that sense. Okay, you've got one box checked there. Or maybe there are some who think just the individual. You know what? I know I believe in God. I know I have a personal faith. I don't need the church. I don't need other people. I can just leave it all be there. All right, I've got one box checked, but not all the others. Or maybe there are some who think, you know what, I'm, I just want to make a difference in this world. I just want to do some good for some people. I want to help out and I want to serve. So I'll, I'll volunteer with the soup kitchen or the food pantry or however it is that I can help out in my community to show that God loves other people. That I'm working towards this restoration of shalom that the Bible talks about, but not connecting with a church or maybe not even having a personal faith about it. Okay, one box is checked. John, I think, wants to back us up to see the way in which salvation is so much bigger than any one of these things by itself. But that there's so much that goes into God coming and redeeming his people. That God created a world, a world in which everything was good and perfect, a world which fell into sin and brokenness. And out of that sinful and broken world, God came to, started with just one person, Abraham. And with Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a people, a community, a nation. And through you, God says in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you so that all nations will be blessed through you that I'm going to make you a community that brings about a restoration of shalom. People, a community, restored and redeemed by God to work towards the restoration of shalom in the world. That's the story of the Bible. That's the narrative that goes there. And you follow that all the way through to Revelation. In Revelation, at the very end, Jesus comes back again, and it's the complete restoration of that shalom. So even though we stumble and fail and see glimpses and peeks at it in what we do now, that God will make it all perfect when he comes again. Here's what I want us to consider then today. So here's what I want to leave us with. Think about where you're at with this, this idea of salvation. That it it involves, as John is pointing us to here, that salvation is cosmic It involves the restoration of shalom for the entire world. That salvation is communal. It's about a community of people with God at its center. And salvation is personal. It's a faith that joins me to the family of God. Can you pick one of these things where you would say, you know what? Maybe there's something here where I just need to take a step further. Something where you'd say, I... Two out of the three of these, I think I've got. But maybe there's one that you can identify that says, all right, here's a place where I can grow. 
Here's a place where I can step further into the identity that I have as a person who's saved by God. Can you pick just one to do that? Find just one on that list of, for you, where you're at, and it's going to be different for every one of us. Where you are at in your walk of faith, one of these things that you would say, hmm, I could actually take a few steps forward here. I could actually claim a stronger identity in what it means for me to be a part of God's cosmic restoration of shalom. I could take another step forward in what it means for me to be part of this community of people with God at its center. Or maybe you're in a place where you're thinking, you know what? I could take another step forward that maybe I've never come to that place of saying, my faith is in Jesus and I'm a part of his family. Or maybe you're in a place where you think, all three of these, where do I start? What do I do? Don't be overwhelmed by it. Pick one. One that jumps to you as, this is where I can take another step. And then move forward from there. Move forward from there. Um, now I'm just going to give a little teaser of what's coming in the next series. That starting in the next series that I'm going to preach, I'm going to be talking about something called spiritual disciplines. Don't think of discipline like punishment. That, that's not what I mean by that. Disciplines in the sense of habits that we have as God's people. Habits that form us and shape us to the image of Christ in us. That these are habits that we have as people that are intended to nurture and grow us as people of faith. It may be helpful going into that series about spiritual disciplines to have one of these identified. A place where I can take a step forward in what it means for me to be a person saved by God. So that in coming weeks, when we consider those habits, routines, things that grow us in that, you can see a picture of where it's connected to, where it's going, where I'm trying to grow, what I'm trying to draw closer to, and what it means for me to be a person saved by God. So that's coming as the next step. But enough here today to just identify one. One place to say, here's where I can take a step forward. Here's where I can grow to be a part of that bigger story of salvation. Story which began at creation. Story which takes shape in a community with God at its center. A story which finds its completion when Jesus comes again, and a story that always points us back to the cross and back to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the way you reveal yourself, and thank you that through the Gospel of John, we can see that glimpse of such a bigger picture of what it means to be your people. God, and we pray today that as we consider how it is your salvation comes to us and all that you've done for us, that you would work in each one of our hearts to know and to see. God, may your Holy Spirit speak to each heart here to open our eyes and identify in front of us that place where we can just take another step forward to claim the identity you've already given to us as people redeemed and saved by you.
but to live into that identity more deeply as we do that. God, thank you that you've revealed yourself to be a Savior who is present at the very moment of creation and abides with us all the way through. So Lord, may we stand with you even as we know you stand with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.